Hello, I'm Erin Worsham, Executive Director of the Center for the Advancement of Social Entrepreneurship at Duke University. And I'm also your host for Case in Point, the podcast that interviews impact leaders about the critical trends driving social change. Now, for those of you that are following along with this season of Case in Point, you'll see that many of our episodes are deeper dives into specific trends, trends such as the shift to stakeholder capitalism, tackling systems change, or the mainstreaming of impact investing. But in today's episode, we're taking a little bit of a different tack. I personally always love having conversations with leaders and getting to understand more about them as individuals and their unique path to impact. So when I had the chance to sit down with an incredible social entrepreneur, Jordan Casalo, to learn more about his personal story and his advice about becoming a successful impact leader, I was so excited and so excited to be able to bring that conversation to all of you. Jordan Casalo has dedicated his life to helping people see. He's the founder of Vision Spring, an amazing social venture that uses innovative distribution and service models to sell radically affordable eyeglasses to millions of people around the world. More recently, he's co-founder of iLiance, a multi-stakeholder coalition working to increase access to eyeglasses globally. And he's done all of this while being a practicing optometrist being named a fellow at Draper Richards Kaplan, Skoll, Ashoka, and the Aspen Institute, and so much more. And somehow in the midst of all of that, he has found time to co-author a book called Dare to Matter, Your Path to Making a Difference Now. So in today's episode of Case in Point, we'll have the chance to learn more about some of the tips and advice from Jordan's book, and also hear powerful stories from his journey of becoming a successful social entrepreneur. So join us now for the latest episode of Case in Points. Jordan, I'm so glad to have you here with us. I know it's been several years since we've had you on campus. I think uh, 2010 or so was when you were last here. So I'm excited to get to hear more about how the journey has evolved since those those years ago uh, and hear some of your insights on a variety of topics that we've heard from our listeners and our audience that they really want to know more about. So I would love to start with the book that you recently co-authored and published. Um, I, I would love for you just to tell us a little bit about the book and, and what prompted you to write it. Well, first, thanks for having me, Aaron. It's wonderful to be back at Duke, one of my favorite places in the Case Center of Social Entrepreneurship. It's uh, a longtime partner and friend of uh, Vision Spring, so thanks for having me back. Of course, and I'm glad to have that on, on record. One of your favorite places, Duke University. <laughs> it's awesome. Yeah, in terms of the book, um, it's called Dare to Matter, Your Path to Making a Difference Now. And I co-wrote the book with Jen Krauss, who is a rabbi. And the book really was a reaction to two things that I saw in the world. The first was, as a social entrepreneur, I've had the privilege of speaking all across the country and even the world to a lot of student organizations and groups, a lot of business schools. And when the Q&A session started, I kept seeing the same kind of line of questioning happening no matter where I was. Mm -hmm. And it went something along the lines of this. 
when I finish school, I want to get a good job because I need to make a living and I want to have a good life, but I don't want to do it at the expense of having purpose and meaning in my life. How do I go about doing that? Mm. And I want it all. I want it all. coming to you for the answer. Exactly. And there's no simple answer, as you know. Uh, but in hearing this over and over again, it really forced me to reflect on my life and realize that that was the central narrative and struggle for me personally. Mm. And I felt that given that I was 25 years into that integration of money and meaning, that maybe some of the lessons that I had learned along the way could be helpful to others who were struggling with that same question. So that was one of the big motivations or impetus for writing the book. The second was more of a disturbing, broader societal trend that I saw, and that was the prevailing definition of success, mm -hmm. which really kind of bugged me. Mm -hmm. And success was always equated with money, power, and fame. And I couldn't think of a worse definition for success in a society. And I felt that part of the challenge of our society and for people living full and useful lives was that they were being directed to a false definition of success. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that what we need to do is get back to a definition that was better for society and better for individuals. Mm -hmm. and, it, and it goes more along the lines of something like this. And that is, if you're going to be successful, you're going to increase your chance is if you find out who you're who you are at your deepest self. Mm -hmm. What are your particular sets of skills and your superpowers that you can bring to the world? Then go out and find a way to bolster those, uh, those strengths and then figure out a way to bring it to the world so that you can make the world a better place because you are in it. And that also ends up making your life a better life. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the benefit inures right back to you. And what we're finding is that there is such a narrow definition of success and so much pressure from society, from parents, from schools, to define success in such a way that if you don't go to these 10 schools and you don't go work at these 10 firms, you're not gonna be successful. Mm -hmm. Rather than giving the message that there are infinite lanes to success, but they all go through a deep knowing of who you are, bringing your particular powers to the world and using those to improve the the potential of the world and potential of other people and yourself as well. Mm -hmm. So those were the two real broad reasons we wrote the book. Mm, I love that. I, I love that concept of thinking about who you truly are at your core and being able to bring that out to benefit not only yourself, but but the world. Exactly. And, and I'm curious for you to reflect on that for yourself. How, how did you figure out who you were at your core, what your your skills were, and, your, and more importantly, your passions? And... Um, uh, you know, so reflect on that about about your own journey of uncovering your core, and what's your advice then that you would give to somebody else that's starting that journey and trying to figure them out, that out for themselves? The first thing I'd say it's an ongoing journey. Mm -hmm. um, mine started in earnest when I was 23 years old, and I found myself in Alaska. I used to do a lot of mountain climbing, mm -hmm. and I was climbing a mountain that was in the midst of a huge storm in the northern reaches of the Brooks Range of Alaska. And as I got to the top of the mountain, the wind was slashing at my face, the rain was pounding me horizontally, and the whole world was conspiring to tell me that I was insignificant. It was sort of like that Kansas song, I felt like dust in the wind. Mm -hmm. 
And I remember really hating that message because as a 23-year-old, I had a lot of energy and I had a lot that I thought could give to the world. Mm -hmm. And I literally remember screaming back at the wind that I mattered. And that's, literally screaming. I literally screaming. I was, <laughs> I was alone, so I could look crazy. <laughs> and that was uh, my what we call my dare to matter moment. That's mm -hmm. the title of the book. Mm -hmm. uh, is at that moment, I told the universe that I didn't know what I was going to be when I grew up, um, but I knew that I was going to be someone who worked to matter, to make a difference in the broader world, to try to do something beyond just myself. And I came down from that mount mountain with the resolution to find a way to matter. Uh, and then fast forward uh, six months later, I had enrolled in school to study to be an optometrist, and I joined an organization that brought eye care to underserved people in Latin America. And my very first patient was a seven-year-old boy, and he was blind. Uh, he thought he was blind, his parents thought he was blind, and after examining his eyes, we realized he wasn't blind, he just needed a very strong pair of eyeglasses. And I was the person who put those glasses on his face, and as you can imagine, when the lens lined up with the, his eyes for that first time, and he saw, it was an incredibly powerful moment that changed both of our lives. I often quote Mark Twain, saying that the two most important days of your life are the day that you're born and the day that you find out why. Mm. And that was the day that I found out why. Wow, I mean, what a blessing to be able to pinpoint that moment in time where your future was illuminated for you as you were doing that for, for this seven-year-old boy as well. Yeah, it's incredible. It, and, and, but I think it's also important to communicate to the listeners that although it was a very powerful moment mm -hmm. and it was one that stopped me in my tracks, the key to making it so, and the key to it being integral to fundamentally changing the direction of my life was that I came to that moment with a prepared heart. And that in that time in Alaska, I made the resolution uh, and, the, and the, uh, the verbal commitment to myself that I was going to matter. And so my heart became sort of like an antenna, looking for ways to matter. And then Raul presented himself in front of me. And so I often say that if I wasn't prepared, if my heart wasn't prepared for that moment, it may not have hit me with the same level of profundity. Mm -hmm. It may have been just a cool story I told my friends, right. but it might not have fundamentally changed the direction of my life. Mm -hmm. So one piece of advice that I give is if you want to work toward being a change maker and find ways that you can truly make a difference in the world. Take the stance of having a prepared heart. Open your heart, make it an antenna, look for ways in which you can make a difference in the world. And when they present themselves, don't ignore them. Listen really carefully to them and grab that opportunity. Mm -hmm. And be ready to act on them. Yeah. It's mm, an amazing story. I, you know, on this theme of sort of trying to have it all, figuring out what your core is, what your passions are, and being open to that. On the other side of having it all is also this pressure that many of us feel about wanting to be financially sustainable, wanting to have a career that can provide for us and our families, et cetera. And I was really struck in your book by how upfront you are about that. We, we often think of, of social entrepreneurs or, or folks that are you know, dedicating their careers to sort of impact, to some sort of impact, that um, the stereotype is they're do-gooders. They're, you know, they're not worried about money. They're just focused on mission. 
But at the end of the day, that's not true. You were very clear in the book, money matters. And that's an important part of your story. And I know often for our audience, for our students here, that that balance of money and meaning is, is really challenging and something that they struggle with as they think about unlocking their passions and their core. So help us unpack that a little bit. How did you think about the balance of, of money and, and meaning um, and determine how much was enough for you? Yeah, it's, a, it's really a fundamental question. I think I, I would first say that one of the central tenets of the book is that as human beings, we have two very human drives. One is to care for ourselves and our families and have nice lives, but the other is to care for something bigger than ourselves so we leave the world a better place because we're in it. And that integration of those two things is really key to a full life. Mm -hmm. If you um, don't provide enough for yourself, then you'll feel somewhat impoverished, not necessarily financially, but even emotionally. And if you only give to the world and you don't, and you don't care for yourself enough, then you're, you're not going to have uh, the resources and you're not gonna have the uh, energy to sustain the work that we're trying to do in the social change space, which are always marathons and not sprints. So that integration of money and meaning is a critical uh, concept that I started to plan for really very early in my career. Thank you for sharing your reflections on, on that front. One of the things that you mentioned uh, or and, and have talked about is this idea of social impact being a marathon uh, and a sprint, I would say, mm -hmm. um, but really needing the energy to sustain yourself and continue to do that work over, over the long term. We often get questions and, and pleas from uh, some of our stakeholders and, and social entrepreneurs that we work with around this idea of building resilience and self-care. And so having been a social entrepreneur for so many years now, I would love to get your thoughts on on that topic. Um, and so, you know, my question for you is, is how do you think about throughout your career, how have you thought about what you need in order to sustain your your energy and your your passion for for this work, which is incredibly hard and and uh, long term and it, by its nature. Yes, it's really critical to prepare yourself for a marathon. Uh, my my rabbi often says, try to find an issue area that you know is going to outlive you, and that's part of the secret to a good life because mm. you know you'll always have important work to do. Um, but that's also depressing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but uh, it's, not, it's not because we all are here to pr uh, repair the world and we're not all going to finish See the reparation. Right. Uh, it's an it's a intergenerational mm -hmm. uh, uh, work. Mm -hmm. And so as long as you're pushing the ball in the right direction, that's not depressing at all. It's actually mm -hmm. quite promising mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. not only are you moving toward progress, but you're also handing it off to the next generation to con continue that good work. Mm -hmm. um, but in, ter in terms of um, what it takes to run that marathon, if you will, there's a number of things that I found were helpful to me. The first and probably the most important is choosing the right issue area, something that truly moves you at the heartfelt level uh, because the heart is the engine for sustained action. Uh, and if you find something that moves your heart and you find a need that really needs you and also a need that feeds you, in other words, this need is needing you because of the 
skills that you have, the strengths that you have, and then you actually, as you start to solve that need, you're finding that it gives you a lot of energy, uh, then it's a great equation for a, a marathon because you're finding something that both needs you and feeds you at the same time. Uh, the other area is, um, is, is to match that work that you love with people who you love and people who you respect. Uh, and you, it, it, that's a happy place. And so you can all day long do work that you love with people who you love because it's just energizing. Mm -hmm. um, so those are, those are some areas uh, that, that are important. Um, I think from a self-care perspective, there are, it's really important to attend to four spheres of being a healthy marathon running change maker. Um, one is, and the four spheres are intellectual, physical, emotional, and spiritual. And are you attending to each of those four components in your life? And what we often find is that the entrepreneurs who burn out, that one or two of those spheres have become vestigial. Mm. And so are you attending to the intellectual side of yourself? Are you learning? Are you continuing to learn whether it's about what you're doing or about something that's in, of interest? Could be, you know, but are you intellectually engaged? Two, are, are you staying healthy? Is your, is your body staying healthy? Are you exercising? Are you getting enough sleep? And there's a really important, uh, you have to treat your body like a, like a temple and you have to care for yourself. Uh, are you in emotionally a good place, relationally with your family and friends? Are you tending enough to that sphere of your life? And then the last is uh, spiritual. Are you connecting with something bigger than yourself, uh, whether it be uh, you know, a, a religious uh, belief or a belief in the natural world, but something that takes you beyond just yourself? And if you can look at those four spheres of your life and constantly assess them and say, are they within reasonable balance? You know, once in a while they get out of balance, mm -hmm. uh, you can sort of course correct. And you can say, oh gosh, you know, I haven't really tended to the physical and I just gained 20 pounds. Mm -hmm. I better start to put a little more energy there. And so just being mindful of those four spheres and figuring out how to integrate all four at the same time uh, is for me, uh, a really powerful way to sustain. Mm, I love that. I, I, I love the four categories. That's really helpful to be able to sort of bucket things and uh, you know that I've got a newborn. So the yes. physical one I'm failing on right now, that sleep is not happening. Yes. <laughs> I'll work on that. Thank you for the, uh, for the prompts. <laughs> um, one of the other things I thought was interesting in the book was you talked about the concept of empathy fatigue. Mm. Tell me a little bit more about what that is. Well, the research shows that uh, if you are a highly empathic person, which is generally a very good thing, mm -hmm. that uh, you can actually burn out. Mm -hmm. And empathy leads to burnout. Whereas another emotion that's quite related, but is subtly different, is that of compassion, which doesn't lead to burnout. And so just to parse the two, the difference is that when you empathize with someone, again, which is a wonderful thing, I'm not telling people not to empathize, right. but when you empathize with somebody, you fuse with them and you really feel what they feel. You so it's put coming, yourself in their shoes, as they say. You mm -hmm. put yourself in their shoes, and as a result, you kind of absorb some of their pain. Mm -hmm. And so if you're taking an empathetic stance all day and you're in the throes of doing hard work, uh, in our, like our, the people in our space will often do, 
that can start to really weigh heavy on people and they end up getting empathy burnout and they mm. kind of get um, bogged down emotionally because they've absorbed so much angst, if you will. Mm. Whereas compassion, on the other hand, is really coming from a place of love. And love is an, a, re, a non is a renewable resource. There's mm. there's always more that you can give, mm. and it, it's actually a energizing feeling. So if you think of the people who you're interfacing with and who you're trying to solve problems with and for, and you take a stance of being compassionate toward them, and it's a place of love, then you're able to sustain it much more than if you're feeling empathetic toward them. Hmm. How do you, give me an example of how you've made that mental shift in, in your life and career. Well, I had a, an actual moment, uh, again, I have these moments, I guess, uh, where I get these insights that mm -hmm. really fundamentally uh, alter the way I think about things. Uh, and that was, this one was in India, where I met a, uh, an 80 year old woman who was blind by cataracts. Mm -hmm. And uh, she, so we were basically screening 17,000 people over the course of a week Oof, to wow. determine does, does this person need a surgical uh, intervention, a medical intervention, or a refractive intervention, meaning do they just need glasses, mm -hmm. or do they just not need anything? And so I was in the triage place, and so one patient after the other, and I would say, okay, you go to the cataract line, you go to the medicine line, you go to the glasses line. And this 80-year-old woman sat in front of me, and her history was that she had been blind for 20 years. Mm -hmm. And I went to examine her eyes, and when you examine someone's eyes with the ophthalmoscope, you get very, very close to them. Mm -hmm. And so I got so close that I rested my hand on her cheek, and we were an inch or two apart. And when I got that close to her, I smelled the smell of earth and it almost smelled like leather because she probably lived on a dirt floor. And as soon as I smelled that smell, it sort of conjured me back to my time as a mountaineer. And she and I kind of fused and became one. Mm. And there was a Jewish boy from Scarsdale, New York, <laughs> becoming one with an Indian woman from Tamil Nadu. The most unlikely pair. <laughs> uh, unlikely pair. But it, it really was, it was sort of an ego disillusion moment where I, myself melted away and I became her and she became me. And that, that sense of oneness was really a sense of love and compassion. And I felt that in such a way that I, I'll, I'll always be able to conjure it back up. Wow. And so that continues to give me a, a lot of power, just going back to that moment mm. and feeling that, that love for her, even though I never met her before. Mm -hmm. mm. And that's powerful that you can hold on to that feeling in that moment and, and conjure it, as you said, when maybe you're having a tough day and sitting in conference rooms and meetings all day long and feeling yeah. frustrated, but can bring that that memory back. I think that's a, a great tip too for impact leaders to, you know, we, we all have days where we're a little separate from the impact and, and uh, this can be frustrating, but to be able to remember those moments and, and call them back is, yeah. is a powerful skill. And, and tell those stories stories. Uh, mm -hmm. For people who know me, they keep hearing my same stories, but that's part of the way I keep them alive and I keep them fresh and I keep right. energized. Well, we love your stories. Okay. Keep on telling them to us. <laughs> so what I would love to do is, is transition into what we lovingly call two minutes with. So the two minutes with Jordan. I've got some quick kind of lightning round questions for you, some reflections that we that we want to get from you while you're here with us today. So if you're game, I'll start to pepper some questions at you. Sound I'm good? Game. Okay. 
We have a tradition here at Fuqua, the Fuqua School of Business, where when students apply to the business school, they have to complete an essay that is called the 25 Random Facts About You. I would like to just hear one of your random facts. Tell me something interesting about yourself, Jordan, that I might not know. My random fact is that although I am 58 years old, I've never needed glasses, nor do I need glasses now. And <laughs> I often joke that I call that refractive karma. <laughs> I love it. That's uh, it's fascinating for somebody that spent his whole career fixing people's eyesight that you have not needed that. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. I, I'm glad for you. Um, what about one, if you could give one piece of advice to other social entrepreneurs, other impact leaders, what, what's the one thing you'd want to tell them? I'm going to steal a quote from Mary Marsh, um, and she says, know yourself, be yourself, look after yourself. Mm. Ah, that's powerful. I love that. What's your superpower? I would say my superpower is connecting disparate dots. Mm -hmm. um, so there aren't that many optometrists who also <laughs> know about social entrepreneurship or know about public health. And so I'm able to sort of take different fields and combine them. And I remember I was listening to a podcast, I forget who it was, but they were saying that it's really hard to be the best at any one thing within a particular field. Mm -hmm. But if you start to combine fields, then it becomes a lot easier. So mm. I might not be the best optometrist, I might not be the best social entrepreneur, but I might be one of the best optometry social entrepreneurs. <laughs> and then if you filter in uh, you know, system change, I'm probably the best system change <laughs> social entrepreneur optometrist in the world. <laughs> I love that. And I, I've always loved listening to your stories too in, in that, that realm of connecting dots, thinking about, you know, you've got Madeline Albright as a client at your optometry practice, and you've got, you know, doing an eye exam on her while you're sort of pitching her for things about Vision Spring. So connecting those dots um, in a very sort of literal way of bringing your worlds together to, to create change. Yes, I'm the Robin Hood of optometry. <laughs> I love it. It's your new tagline. All right, last question, and, and maybe the most important. How do you define success? I, I define success in the way that, as human beings, we have certain gifts and certain aptitudes, and we're encoded to do something special, and finding that thing, uh, and discovering who you are at your deepest authentic self, and then figure out how to manifest that and bring that to the world to make the world a better place and to make you a better you. So powerful. I wish that for all of us, that we can find and unlock that potential about each of us as individuals. Thank you, Jordan, for sharing your story and your lessons learned. Uh, I know hard-won insights over the course of many decades and uh, just incredible stories. So we appreciate you sharing your, your time and your insights with us today and looking forward to see what the next 10 years and the next decades to come bring for Vision Spring, for iLiance, and, and for you uh, in your work and in your career. So thank you. What an inspiring conversation with Jordan. I know that so many of us are trying to build a life of meaning and in service of a purpose beyond ourselves. And so I am grateful to Jordan for sharing how he has paved that path and his advice for finding meaning, building resilience and self-care and so much more. If you're interested in learning more, check out Jordan's book, Dare to Matter. And of course, tune into more episodes from this season of Case in Point. You can learn more at our website, www.caseatduke.org, or subscribe to Case in Point wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. That's all for today. Thanks for tuning in. <laughs>